welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on technology and society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the executive director and founder of the Austin Forum, and I'm here today with two other colleagues in the Austin tech scene who also have podcasts. Joining me today is Jason Scharf, the host of the Austin Next podcast, and Tom Singer, the host of the Austin Tech Connect podcast. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. So, I would like you to tell the uh, our listeners just a little bit about yourselves as well, in addition to the podcast that you host. So, Jason, I'll start with you. Sure. Uh, I moved to Austin just over three years ago from uh, one of the California migrants during COVID and spent about 20 years in biohealth. And today I am also a investor and a startup advisor. Great. And Tom? Yeah, so I also came from California, but I did it before it was trendy, Jason. I came, <laughs> I moved from California in 1991. Uh, Austin had about 700,000 people in the greater metropolitan area. Of course, now it has 2.3 million. So we've tripled in size and built one road during that time. So uh, <laughs> I, I worked around technology for most of my career, working for technology law firms and banks and consulting firms. And then I spent 14 years as a professional speaker teaching people how to build community uh, at conferences and inside companies. And then a year and a half ago, I took over the role leading the Austin Technology Council, which is a 32-year-old organization that's been here working for the growth of tech all that time. Well, great. I'm, I'm very excited to have you both on the podcast for many reasons, but especially for this episode, because today for our listeners, what the three of us are going to do is share our thoughts about tech trends in 2024 and a bit about the Austin tech scene as we start 2024. The Austin Forum on Technology and Society, of course, covers lots of diverse uh, emerging and pervasive technologies in our programming throughout the year. But we start every year off, of course, with a look at the tech trends. And we had a big event just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hundreds of people attended that event and probably hundreds more viewed it online since. Um, very excited about uh, starting the year here and getting this nice, clear reset and look at the technologies that are going to be important in this year. And I'm so happy to have you two here because I know, like me, you talk to other technologists and business leaders and thought leaders and community leaders persistently, not just in the course of interviewing for your podcast, but in the course of all your other activities. So with that, I'll ask uh, you both five questions. And we'll have some conversations about it and let's get into it. I'll start with an easy one for the first question. As we start the year, what technology or technology trend are you most excited about? So I'll go ahead and go first. And, and I've been thinking, you know, all this trend and this push back towards semiconductors and, and reshoring semiconductors to the United States, uh, the CHIPS Act and everything that's gone involved with that and other major technology manufacturing coming back to the United States. I think this is a trend we're going to see a lot of uh, over the next five, six, 10 years. I think with what's going on globally, what we learned during the pandemic with with shipping issues and things like that, plus with unrest in you know Asia around Taiwan and some other things, I think that we're going to see a lot of big tech hardware growth and manufacturing growth. And Austin is positioned to pick up a lot of that. We've already got Samsung and some others who are online to build uh, plants, but there's a lot of other people who are sniffing around for major tech manufacturing uh, in the United States. And certainly I think Austin will benefit from all of that. So that's a that's a trend that I think in the long run is going to positively impact our economy. Are you seeing a lot of uh, movement in 
you expect a lot of success in that trend in 2024. Fabs take long times to build, for example, and things like that. Yeah, but I think that you got to have the momentum. It's got to start somewhere. And I think that we're we're seeing a lot more interest. I know from some things I've been invited into conversations uh, with some economic development efforts that are taking place, there's a lot of companies who are sniffing around bringing uh, manufacturing of a lot of types to Austin. Yeah, it'll be a few years before we see the dollars and cents impacted. Mm -hmm. But I think as land is being acquired and as ground is being broken and things like that, I think that that is really positive for both tech trends in the United States, but certainly for Central Texas. Great. Jason. So it's really around the convergence of technology and specifically it's the physical meets the digital. So I think of it as like tech meets bio. So AI in healthcare, Te advanced manufacturing, like as you'd said, but it's, we're talking about like robotics in the span of what this was last week, I think you had figure with their uh, with their humanoid robot pouring a cup of coffee, and then like literally a week, I think two or three days later, you had the Optimus robot folding laundry. So you have you know the AI, all these foundational models being used now in robotics. You have um, you know the advancement of AI in biology being used for you know, folding proteins. So it's really that kind of convergence where we're seeing it's not just in the digital space anymore, but moving more and more into the physical space. We're seeing that in defense. We're seeing that in energy. We're seeing that in biology. So I think that that movement where it really starts to be not just, you know, software and enterprise and work productivity is something that we're going to see more and more. And I think 24 is kind of, that's really, I think the taking off point for that. And I think that Kind of building off something what Thomas said, I think that that Austin, that really fits into our zeitgeist and kind of the first principles of our ecosystem. Because when you start to see the types of companies and unicorns that we have, whether it be Icon or Spark Cognition or Tesla moving here or the Samsung plant, it really is that kind of you know manufacturing base that is good for you know Austin and but with the innovation and with the digital you know history that we have. It, it it fits well for the kinds of future that is in front of us and what we can build here. So Jay, Jay, what do you think? I'm going to throw the question back to you. What what do you think is the biggest tech trend that's coming down the pike? Well, I think the biggest positive tech trend seems pretty clear, and that's going to be the productive use of generative AI. Um, we have to remember generative AI has only been out for what, about 13 and a half months since chat GPT launch, we've all been using it individually and we've all found some personal productivity gains from it. But I think the enterprise usage is coming in 2024 as people had figure out how to use rag techniques to get more precise answers, as they learn how to train small models that can be run more cost effectively and that are tuned for their domain, tuned for their corporate information, et cetera. Um, 2024 is gonna be the year I think where we see gen AI, be more than a you know a cute party trick, more than an occasional productivity enhancer. It's really going to become mainstream, but it's going to be mainstream because of the hard work going into rag methods and small language models and and other things like that. So I'm I'm very very excited about that. The the one that I I want to answer because that's such an easy one. Um, the answer I'd love to give is that it's the year of synthetic biology based. Uh, treatments for illnesses and such. And so, you know, we all saw the FDA approve the sickle cell anemia 
CRISPR-based treatment a few weeks ago. I would love to see 2024 have a lot more successes like that and really see CRISPR and uh, gene editing and synthetic biology-based uh, derived treatments become more commonly approved and really lead the way towards curing some things that have been quite pesky and troublesome for a long, long time. And Jay, the thing I kind of want to add to what you were talking about, generative AI, is 13 months ago, all the talk was around, oh my God, we're all going to lose our jobs because it's all going to be that. I've also <laughs> noticed there's a lot less of that being said, which I think is good because you know, there's a lot less people like scared of generative AI. I think over the past 13 months, people have realized that, you know, it doesn't necessarily take away billions of jobs, but it makes people more effective and, and creates other types of jobs. So I think, I think the trend, when you mentioned generative AI, I think, the, I think we have a more positive trend than a freak out trend compared to a year ago. You're still going to lose your job, but you're going to lose your job to <laughs> someone, a uh, human using AI, not an AI. <laughs> yeah. Certainly your job is going to transform. I, I, I I do tend to worry about job disruption and how it affects people who aren't prepared to transform their own skill set. But I do think the larger trend in that workforce is going to be people rapidly adopting it and becoming more productive and still working too many hours a week. <laughs> but historically, getting more done with them. <laughs> historically, we've seen job disruption going back, you know, hundreds yeah. of years, you know, several different times. And we always seem to find new ways to to create jobs. So I think that even with disruption, I think there'll be new opportunities for people as long as they're willing to learn and, and train and go forward. Well, this gives me a good lead in for my second question for the group here, which is what tech trend are you most concerned about in 2024? So I'll, I'll start off. The biggest concern I have is over-regulation. So post 2007, 2008, we had Dodd-Frank, and the result of Dodd-Frank was an increase in the market share of big banks. We have the Nuclear Regulatory Agency, and in the entire existence of uh, that, we've had the approved of one new nuclear plant in the last 30 years. So my concern is we over-regulate AI. We're going to end up with the current state of Amazon, Apple, Google, having captured the market and not leading to an increase in innovation dominance by the big uh you know the big current players so we're going to end up in the situation that everybody's actually crying out for regulation for and so that that's the part that that worries me that we're so quickly running into this saying please everybody you know run up pull up the ladder because the people who are all getting in front of congress right now saying please regulate no happens to be the leaders currently in the space versus <laughs> the ones who are, you know, versus the startups who are getting out there. And so, and I, and I, I absolutely recommend everybody go out and watch uh, Bill Gurley's uh, all in summit uh, presentation from earlier this year, talking about regulatory capture. It's an, it's an amazing piece, just kind of showing what's happened in some of these things. So that, that's the biggest concern that I have that will end up I, either a choking out innovation or B creating a status quo where the biggest incumbents today are the ones who end up winning and not having a actually dynamic market where startups and innovators are the ones who are being able to create new and dynamic things. I think that for me, one of the trends that 
you know, and, and Jason and I have argued about this in the, in the past sitting around having a beer, but one of the trends I think that still matters is, is people think that, that tech is the answer for everything when it comes to, you know, their business relationships, being involved in the community, community building. And while I understand that there are some people who really got excited when the pandemic happened, you know, they, they loved the fact they didn't have to leave their house and they could do everything by Zoom. All the studies show that doing things by Zoom, now we're doing this podcast by Zoom and this is super <laughs> effective, but all the studies that are now coming out three years, four years later are that it's not nearly as effective as we thought it was on the human connection side. And this goes back to sort of what I believe. I think we've had a trend. It's not a 2024 trend, but it's a trend that's gone on four, five, six, eight, ten 10 years where people were like, oh, you know, I don't have to invest in, in the community. I see a lot of people... Uh, especially some of the younger entrepreneurs who, when I talk about giving back and getting involved, they say, I'll do that when I'm wealthy. I'll do that after I IPO. And I think there is a trend that we have to get into the same room and we have to build community and not everything can be online and distance and not everything can be a curated uh, meeting where just VIPs are invited. I think we have to have that serendipity of community. And I think tech helps that, but I don't think it can ever replace getting people together in the same place. And I'll always be worried about that trend. Yeah, I think that you're. Um, I think you're spot on there. Did you see the Yale uh, research uh, results? I guess it was about a month ago they were published, where they talked about how human brains uh, fire differently on Zoom than in person with the same people and the same topics. And so there really is something to that. I think the difference is minimal if you're reading a report, and the difference is heightened if you're trying to do collaborative ideation, uh, but. But so much of innovation is collaborative ideation that I'm glad to see, you know, at least people are getting back together in community environments in at the office for at least a certain number of days a week. Um, certainly happy to see that trend slowly reversing. I don't think it'll ever go back to the uh, everybody in the office five days a week, you know, eight or 10 or 12 hours a day. But I certainly hope it goes back to the point that they're there enough for the collaborative ideation sessions that lead to great ideas and innovation. Well, I mean, I've talked to several companies that are going back to five days in the office. I, I know somebody who works for a company who he wasn't really happy about it. And he thinks he's more effective and collaborative in the office, but he liked it when they were three or four days a week because it allowed him to have yeah. the plumber come. It allowed him to take the cat to, to the vet <laughs> and things like that. And his office has said five days a week. And if you don't like it, there's the door and he doesn't mind it, but he said, I wish I had more flexibility. And so I think there are some companies that are really pushing to back to the office. I don't think there's a right answer though. I think right. if your company is fully distributed and it works for you and you have a good culture, great. If you great. think your culture needs to have everybody back in the office, bring them back to the office. I don't think there's a right answer for everybody. I think it's actually, the difficulty is you have to spend the time and energy and understanding. And, and I've seen some data that said, those companies that are making these mandates of you must be back in the office, their turnover numbers are starting to are starting to skyrocket, rocket, mm -hmm. because they're they're not necessarily the cult. Now, to your point, not only is it right for you, but you also have to have right for the employees. So, good point. There are the one people who like fully back in the office. You're going to have a bit of a sorting going on. Of I agree. You know, do I want to be fully remote? Do I want to be at this? But I think the hardest part about it is, and I think it's back to your point, Jay. With there are certain activities that work well remote, like this podcast works well remote, right? Deep in-depth brainstorming collaboration doesn't work well remote. And so when you start having to think about what are the activities that work well, what are the functions that work well, 
How do I think about those things align with remote, in-person? Does it work across which company, which companies? What about the products themselves? And you start layering in all of, that's not easy to do. Yep. And it's a lot simpler to say we're hybrid two days a week. We're fully remote. And so, and then you make the trade-off of flexibility versus productivity versus which, which are the things that I'm going to double down on. And so let me just pick one of these things. And so if you, you really got to put in the work to do this well, and nobody really wants to, I think, do that yet. Well, and, and I go back to the fact that if the three of us were sitting in the same room recording this podcast and we had a bottle of bourbon, I actually think this podcast would be more fun and probably more effective. So Zoom works, but I think it'd be more fun if we were all in the same room, you know, taking a couple shots, then talking about Austin Tech. I'm sure we would at least think we were being better with, uh, after that couple of shots. And I'm, I'm certainly more, willing, be more fun. I, I'm willing to do the research and test this. <laughs> next, next time, time our next podcast, together. we do it. That's right. Way. Well, right. I'll share my uh, uh, tech trend that I'm most concerned about. Uh, and, you know, I said the productive use of generative AI to the first question it's going to be the negative use of generative AI is my answer to this. And I'm very worried about disinformation. And I'm seeing that I'm not the only one. I'm seeing a lot more uh, people raise this alarm and the expectations that will be significantly more disinformation in the world. And I'm, this is not a Austin thing or a US thing. This is a global thing because, you know, for as long as there have been people with different agendas, there have been people lying to each other and conning each other and things like that. So, Generative AI is just a, a much better tool for doing this than some of the ones they had access to. You couple that with the internet, the web, and social media and smartphones, and now suddenly you have the ability to create content that sounds or looks incredibly plausible, but and is difficult to disprove, even if it's been intentionally uh, uh, made to deceive. So I'm I'm worried about this and I'm hopeful that the, the many other people that I'm seeing in just the last few weeks being concerned about this in 2024, I'm hopeful that the solutions makers will come up with the tools needed to verify and validate authenticity and truth when truth exists. And sometimes that is a, a variable thing, but uh, this is the, this is my biggest tech trend concern. And, uh, Boy, I sure hope there's a lot of sharp people listening to this podcast that say, I think I want to get involved in that. I think I have some good ideas there. All right. Let me ask you question number three now. Uh, this is more Austin specific. Uh, what does the Austin tech vibe feel like to each of you now? I know we all live here. We all work with lots of uh, folks in Austin. Uh, we know that we're a tech hub, not the tech hub, but a tech hub in a world with more and more tech hubs. But we're kind of a special one in our own ways. Um, what do you think of the vibe right now, post pandemic, when it seemed like everybody and their cat moved here? <laughs> and now, you know, maybe because of our success, starting to see a few articles out there about, oh, is the Austin scene already jumped the shark or something like this? I'd love to get your take on the Austin tech scene and vibe now. Tom, we'll start with you. So first of all, you're, you're rarely going to find somebody who is more bullish and more pro rah-rah Austin than, than me. I mean, I'm, I've, you know, anybody who's known me for the last 31 years, you know, I, I, I bleed Austin. I, I have an unnatural love affair with our, with our community and our tech community. However, 
I do think it's changed. Now, change isn't necessarily bad, but you know, I mentioned earlier on that I moved here. There were seven hundred thousand people. It's now two point three million or something like that. You know, and I make. I the think joke it's two point four million now since we started the podcast. Since we started the podcast, yeah. yeah. And and you know, I'd make the joke that we built one road, but with the growth has come a lot of problems. And the problems are our infrastructure hasn't catched up, caught up. Uh, the traffic, even with so many people working remote, it can take an hour to get from Circle C to downtown if you leave at the wrong time on a Tuesday morning. So I think there's a lot of problems with that. The other thing is, is that a lot of people moved here and and I make the joke about having this unnatural love affair with Austin, but Austinites always had that for the first 25 years I lived here. Over the past four or five years, you've had a lot of people who came here because it seemed cool. They came and and their attitude has been, well, if if we if we kill the golden goose, I'll move to Miami or I'll go to Denver or whatever, where it used to be. People in Austin and people in Austin Tech, if they got laid off, they'd wait tables at Z Tejas till they got another job because they weren't leaving Austin. So I, I think that we have a lot of people. I, I interviewed someone on my podcast uh, recently, and, and she said, we have a lot of people who are sampling Austin. And I thought, wow, that's that's a really good observation. So I think one of the things is, is that so many people came here. I don't think we've been able to absorb them all. And so that's something we need to work harder on is how do we let everybody find a home in Austin? Because I don't think we have that as much as we used to. The second thing to your point about there's been these articles that have said, you know, is the, is the Austin miracle over? Is Has the bubble burst? And CNBC, SFGate, TechCrunch, and many others in the fall ran articles or did interviews on this thing. And they were citing things like we had our first quarter that we didn't have growth in like 30 years in 2023. But it was like the downturn was like 0.05. I don't remember the exact stat, but it was it was basically flat. And they took that as, oh, a downturn, everything must be over. And the truth is, if you look at any city, any company, anything that grows, Apple's a great example. It grows, then it goes flat, maybe it goes down, then it goes way up, then it goes down. I mean, that's flatlining and going down a little is just part of growth. So I think the long-term of Austin, I think the reports of the death of the Austin miracle, I think they're over-exaggerated, right? I think that the best years of Austin is still ahead, but- I think we have a problem that we've believed our own press for the last 15 years. And I think that as a community, I think we need to take a breath. I was talking to somebody who we all know, I I won't name him. And I was talking about other communities that I work with through the technology councils of North America. And they have some cities that are really poised for what we did 15 years ago that are poised for that now. And the attitude of some of our key leaders is no one's ever going to look at Pittsburgh. No, Nashville's never going to catch on. Arizona, you know, yeah, they won a couple of tech plants, but but Arizona's got nothing. I think we need to realize that it's no longer about being that second or third tech hub. There's now going to be 20 tech hubs. And it's how does Austin fit right. into that growing thing of tech hubs and not believe our own press and think we're extra special, but how do we capitalize on the fact that we got here first as that alternative tech hub? Jason would love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm going to take a, a different and more bullish. And I think it's it's going to be... So there is a serious media narrative disconnect from the data. Uh, so that I agree with Tom. And it happens both on the national and the local level, which I don't understand. <laughs> uh, like when you have... I, I remember seeing like... I, I don't... It was a local... It was like 42,000... The headline was like 42,000 people move from Texas to California. Yep. And then the sub headline was the highest level of in migration to Texas ever. You know, 
and because 103,000 moved from California to Texas. Like, I don't understand, yeah. we, you know, we, these kind of we still were net positive. Right. And, exactly. and the article, the all articles people. looked at it. Yeah, yeah. The articles all looked at it. And somehow we were falling. And it's like, no, if you look at the numbers, we're growing. Oh, yeah, the same 100%. thing happens in the articles about companies with layoffs. They share the number of layoffs that company X or Y has had. And then maybe farther than the article or not at all, don't talk about the huge number of job openings the same company has where they're right. they're really shifting. They're using the reduction in force to cut some fat in some areas and then targeted hiring in other places, often by greater amounts, but just spread more strategically to what their future product portfolio is going to look like or something. So yeah, I'm with you on this. Right. It's, it's, it's the if it leads, it bleeds, right? Kind yeah. of situation. But That's right. so there's, there's this kind of negative bias built in. So yeah, it was the, so, it, so it's growing. So then- on the startup scene and the innovation scene, so Austin raised $3.9 billion in 2023, which put us as the sixth largest in the country. It was the third biggest year for Austin in history and only behind kind of the ZERP COVID years of 21 and 22. So, and then I did some analysis recently that if you look at the top 10 metros and benchmark them to 2019, we are one of only four that are higher than 2019. All the other, it's us, Boston, Silicon Valley, and DC. Every other metro is actually below where they were in 2019. So we're actually, as a momentum, still going up. Mm -hmm. Everybody else has kind of dropped off the map and kind of is receding and having some issues. So like we're actually well positioned to kind of where, where we are. Um, I do think, you know, we were kind of saying, uh, I was having actually a conversation you know, this morning about how, you know, Austin has always been growing and always been changing. And then the COVID wave, which obviously I was part of, was more of a tsunami, right? You had both a high, a higher growth of people. And then at the same time, it was the, the level of people really shifted things. For as long as, you know, the whole hierarchy and everything kind of shifted, like as long as, I don't know, 20, 30 years, you guys give me the number, you know, Michael Dell has been the you know richest, most powerful, whatever words you want to use in Austin. And then Elon Musk moved here, right? And so the, and that happened at every single level. So you had all these kind of people uh, move and shift the dynamics of what's going on. But every day I'm meeting new founders moving here. I know there are people who have moved here as founders and raised significant capital from funders who have moved here. So this kind of dynamism of, of us becoming the place, and this is where I, I said I'm going to be more bullish and, 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 and kind of push back a little bit, Tom, is I do think that, and this is kind of where part of where the thesis is coming on, on what I kind of push the podcast, we are transitioning to being a superstar ecosystem. And so what we need, so what the thought process and the leveling up, and this is where I kind of want to asking to kind of bully you is think about how, how Austin, how the organizations, how the people need to think about leveling up because we don't, we shouldn't be looking back 10, 15 years because actually what got us here very deliberately doesn't what gets us forward. And in the same, those people who are looking at us, and looking, saying, well, we're going to go do what Austin, that's great. Be the next Austin. That's fantastic. You should be looking at our model because our model is something different than what Silicon Valley did, than what New York did. And instead, we are producing a very different type of model going forward because I don't, we're not the next Silicon Valley. We're the first Austin. 
and it's creating something else going forward. And that's the thing that we're kind of building on and how it, it does create different integration points. And it does create, because this is the other thing is, I think I don't want people to be changing their thesis to say, well, now I'm investing in Austin, or now I'm creating, it is transforming into something new. And just as it always has been. I mean, I think that's the, the, the two things that I, I think are constant about Austin that I've seen is change and people complaining about change. <laughs> well, yeah. and actually, I don't think, I don't think we disagreed there at all. I think we just kind of came at it from a slightly different side because I do agree that we're poised for that next level of greatness. And it is a different model than what got us here. And I think that that's the thing we have to remember. And the reason I bring up all these other places is there's other places who are, who are clamoring to grow and become these tech hubs. We have that lead. And so I think that we need to not forget that we have that lead. I think we need to think about that. However, I also push back that we do have to look back because if we forget how we got here, and I talk to a lot of people who think that the tech boom began 12 years ago, and it's like, no, you can go back, you know, as far as the 80s and start to track, you know, where these things go. I think we have to know for where we came, but we can't think that yesterday's model was tomorrow's model. So I actually think you and I agree. I think right. we just, we're grabbing onto different sides of the same stick. Yes, I think it's 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 a it's a thirty year overnight success. I yeah. think it's I think it's the tactics and actions of thirty years ago will absolutely not work today. I I agree with that. All right, you two are such cheerleaders that I'm going to have to throw a little bit of water on this. <laughs> so there is no doubt that much of the change has been good. I can agree with that. I'm bullish on our future as a tech hub for sure. But but there are things that challenge the city because of tech and things that will challenge even the success of tech here. And I I don't want to say, I'm not a doomsayer at all, because I think the, the future is bright, but I don't think, I think, Tom, you said it before, where sometimes we read our own positive press clippings and drink our own champagne, and I don't think we look carefully enough sometimes at where we're not number one, at where some of the things are that are potential causes. So I'm a very big fan of happy, not satisfied and always monitoring what the weak points in the system are. And over the last year, as I've talked to various tech leaders uh, in the private sector, at the university, in government, you know, it's clear that there's a few weak points here uh, that, that, that all of those sectors are dealing with. Some of them are political. Things like the, the view on abortion in this state and the laws yep. are such that I've had people tell me they're having trouble recruiting female yep. employees and also losing female employees. Uh, other things like uh, and politics is always going to be this way in any place, affect what no matter what the politics are, affecting the group that don't agree with it, but uh, also on the gun issue. I've heard people more in the university space who aren't pleased that perhaps people can bring it onto campus talk about that as well and how it threatens some intellectual leadership there. We need to be cognizant of these things so that we can, you know, uh, either address them or or count account for them in things. The infrastructure thing you mentioned, Tom, a huge one. When I hear about people leaving Austin, sometimes they say, yeah, it was made up to be this great next generation city, but it's got last generation public transportation and things like that. Another thing that we need to solve, now there's really good reasons that happened. We grew faster than all those places. It was awfully hard to get all the rights of way in the land to build all the right public uh, transportation before it became exorbitantly expensive to do so. So our success 
kind of bit us on that issue a little bit. Um, I also worry about the changing culture of the city. There's no doubt we are a great tech city, but we're a great tech city partially at the expense of our creative culture, our performing arts culture, et cetera, that we haven't yet quite figured out the right way to have them enjoy in the economic success of the city overall, we've created some gaps there. And by the way, the pandemic exacerbated this. And uh, Tom, you've been here a long time too. And uh, Jason, for your uh, awareness, in all previous re tech recessions, the gap closed a little bit and it alleviated some of the pressure on the creative class, the service industry, and all these others. In the pandemic recession, the tech was the beneficiary of it. So it actually magnified that gap uh, uh, tremendously for, for a while. And so these are all things, by the way, again, actually bullish, but I'd be even more bullish if I thought there was a consistent effort by the tech leaders, community leaders, and thought leaders in the city to develop a strategic plan for identifying these issues and how to address them, or at least how to counter the effects of them so that we aren't just number one now, our gap grows and we stop seeing stupid articles about, oh, 41,000 people left, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, by the way, 100,000 moved here. So that that's so, my view on it. So I want, I want to pick up on two things that you said. Number one, the one thing that we forget when we talk about the 30-year overnight success, one of the reasons it worked is we were super affordable when it came yes. to housing. Right. And, you know, people look I at, the, at what out. they were paying in, in California. I talked to a CEO of a, of a pretty good company the other day, and he said for the first time, he couldn't recruit people out of Southern California because their rent was almost a lateral. And they were like, why would we leave San Diego to come to Austin when my condo is the same price to be this close to the heart of things? Now, it wasn't exactly, but that used to be like a 50% to 80% gap. And now right. it was like a five or 10% gap. And he said, it's the first time I haven't been able to recruit because of cost of living. And so, so that's a thing. And I've heard from other cities that they say, you know, Austin doesn't realize how important cheap housing was. You know, I mean, you could buy a house, 20, a great yeah. house 20 years ago, like 3000 square feet circle C for $250,000. That same house is now a million dollar house. And while salaries have gone up, they haven't gone up that much. So that's a, a really big issue. Other thing you touched on was that next generation of civic leaders stepping up. And I realize that that next generation doesn't look to the Chamber of Commerce or the Austin Technology Council as sort of where they get their, their feet wet to get connected and things like that, because the world has changed. But in talking to some senior people who've helped guide this community over the years, they don't know where these people, who they are yet. They're looking for that next generation who, even if they're going to do it differently, are standing up saying, we're going to lead the tech community to the next phase. And I think we, we, we I know they're out there, but we need to identify them and put them front and center because it can't be a bunch of 60 and 70 year old people, 50 year old people who are driving the vision for the next 30 years. Well, I look to you two as those community and tech leaders uh, and, and in that group. I, yeah, I but I'm almost, you... I'm almost 60. Jason's young. I'm almost 60. Well, you look young, but uh, I, I look to you two in the communities that you all are building and hopefully through the Austin Forum community as well of trying to identify these leaders and trying to celebrate our successes and build on these successes, but never to the point that we're reading our own, you know, positive press clippings and ignoring the creeping problems, like the fact that, as you mentioned, housing prices have gone up, that we still haven't addressed public transportation, that we've got other issues 
that we, we've got to keep in mind or those things that made Austin such a special place to move to, the gaps and those things shrink. And then that will slow our growth rather than accelerate it. So uh, we're very fortunate that we have a, a great climate, a wonderful world-class university, a strong tech scene with true global leaders with their headquarters based in here in Austin, a growing medical school and health tech community here and so many other advantages. But I just hope that, you know, the, the three of us should make sure that Austin, without writing those terrible, stupid articles that aren't very uh, informative or, or useful, but that we find a constructive way to making sure that we identify the things that not just Austin, but any city should be vigilant about to ensure that its success is sustained and not fleeting. And I don't think ours is going to be fleeting at all, but I'd, uh, but I'd love to see a bit more balance in our ecosystem here, uh, a bit more of the benefits of this great success for all. Um, and this leads me into the next question, which is what areas do you think we're a true leader in now? Forget our press clippings. What do you think we're a true leader in now? And what do you think five years from now will be a leader in that we are not currently a leader in now, assuming we do all these good things and sustain our success and growth? I think it really is back to the 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 tech trend that I'm really bullish on for 24, which is convergent technology, specifically digital meeting the physical. I just think that the history that we have both in manufacturing and in kind of digital innovation coming together and different technologies. One of the things I've said a lot, kind of the superpower of Austin is the power of and. I think that is kind of something that we're going to be a true leader in. And things that take advantage of that is where we are going to be going. And I think that that's today. And I think that going into the future. So the more things that kind of take advantage of that is really what our superpower is going to be. And I think one of our superpowers has been over the past really 30 some odd years, we have become a place that it's cool. It's encouraged. It's awesome to explore entrepreneurship. We truly have an entrepreneurial vibe that goes through everything, not just tech. I mean, there's all, mm -hmm. I talked to somebody, you know, who, you know, you, there's a lot of people who are making like uh, uh, dog food companies and different, and there's all kinds of things happening in Austin that go beyond Austin, a lot of different types of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a vibe here that says you can go try and you can go fail. If, if, if you go out and do something and you fail, Austin doesn't go, well, there's a loser. You know, I think it's, oh, wow, they rolled up their sleeves and, and and they tried. When I took over the Austin Technology Council, there was a lot to be redone. And I was one of the reasons I was worried to do it is what what if I fail? And one of my leading entrepreneur friends here in town said, so what? How many of our entrepreneur friends have taken on a project and failed and gone on to the next thing and, and succeeded? He said, we're in Austin. Nobody gets scared of failing. You go in and give it the old college try. And if you do a good job, you can fail and find the next opportunity. And I think that Austin is a leading place for that. I don't know if we're the best or the only, but but I think that vibe is there. Couple that with the fact that we have become a, a real leader in corporate relocations for major offices and headquarters for big companies. And I think that mm -hmm. that lends a whole new thing to Austin because there's a lot of jobs that come with that. I mean, you got the Googles, the Metas, you know, Salesforce has 800 people here. TikTok has 800 people here. You know, as you look at these companies, we don't even know how many companies are here. I told somebody the other day that TikTok had an office here. They said, no, they don't. And I said, well, that's odd because I met with the guy who runs it and they they do. So there are 
all kinds of big relocations and major office hubs with hundreds, if not thousands of people, which adds to the stability and the creativity of our community. And many of those workers, after they make some money, they go and start the next generation of, hey, I have my own idea. And they go and do that. So it feeds back to the startup. Where I think we need to focus the next five years, and this is where the Austin Technology Council fits in, is we need to focus on those established growth-oriented companies, those companies who have you know, 10 to 400 employees who either have great funding and uh, are established with growth or they're shipping product and making money, but they're beyond Becky with her idea and grandma's money and, and looking for you know, round A and round B. I think our future growth, our future unicorns come out of that middle sect. And I don't think right now we pay enough attention to that middle. We, we look at all the Googles and the Metas who come here and we love them, Teslas, et cetera. And we pay attention to all of these people who are like, yay, I've got a startup. I got an idea. I need some funding. I think if we can pay attention to that middle growth, and there's hundreds of companies, if we can pay attention to them, foster them, and give them the same attention as the other two pieces of the sandwich, I think that's where we thrive. And I'll chip in with my answer to this one. I, I think one of the, the places that I'm, I'm so proud of Austin for being successful is semiconductor all the way up to solution. So we really got our tech foundation about 50 years ago in semiconductor industry-based initiatives in which we took home run swings and connected. MCC, Semitech, uh, various companies moving here and bringing their chip design and manufacturing. Over the years, we lost some of the manufacturing, but we didn't lose the design folks. So most every significant chip company in the world if not based here, has a huge chunk of their design teams here. And now, as Tom mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we're seeing the manufacturing come back in that area as well. Samsung is a big player in it, but we're seeing more and more things that we'll be talking about in this and in y'all's podcast over the coming years that are taking place right now at UT, at various companies in the surrounding areas. So I love seeing the whole semiconductor ecosystem be represented or about to be represented in Austin again. Jason, you one, wanted to- Well, one thing I, I, I with the semiconductor and I think with Tesla, we kind of didn't mention, but I wanted to think it's a positive aspect about some of the issues we're having with like with affordability and all this. With the manufacturing comes really good jobs mm -hmm. that don't need these high level, you know, you don't need a PhD, you don't need- right. So you're able to create good middle-class jobs that help with the affordability issues. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that we really can create broad scale economic um, growth. Yeah, Jason, it, that it is- really brings up everybody. So I think that's something that Austin really does, does can really do well, given the types of sectors that we have and are growing here. Jason, that's a, that's a brilliant point. And the other thing I wanna add is, we haven't touched on this, but one of the things that led to the Austin miracle is the University of Texas at Austin. And I think that the University of Texas at Austin, you know, really when you look back to those early days of, of getting Semitech and MC squared, you know, and uh, IC squared and all these other things off the ground, UT was really behind and helping fund mm -hmm. and helping promote a lot of the early stage growth. I My observation is they haven't been as involved with our tech community in the past 15 or 20 years as they used to be. And so one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how do we get the business school and the engineering school to really come back in and participate, help fund. I mean, they, they, they've they got deep, some deep pockets anyway, 
you know, help fund some of the initiatives that we're trying to do to do that, because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the University of Texas at Austin. That's one of those, you know, I, I talk about like eight pillars that made Austin great. UT is definitely one of them. And we need to pull UT back into that mix and let them have a driving and, and visible force. I'm sure behind the scenes, they're doing all kinds of stuff, but yeah. visibly we need UT to lead. Well, I'm going to continue with the thought I was going and I'll address that UT role in a way as well. So we've, I think we're not only getting the rest of the semiconductor ecosystem back into the area, but with companies like Dell on the solution side and Oracle on the software side, we're really becoming stronger from small companies to big companies in not just silicon and all aspects of it again, but solutions and software. So I think we're becoming really a more complete hub now in that tech ecosystem on the computing side, where I think that we'll be a leader in five years. I see the seeds of it. And again, UT plays a role in this uh, with their world-class computer science program and strength in AI and robotics is we're not one of the top cities in the world yet in AI, but there's the new Austin AI ecosystem initiative that I'm helping to create and that many of the leading companies in town are part of. I fully expect that to succeed and help a lot of AI efforts here grow in software, hardware, services, uh, workforce development and reskilling and, and applications and uh, social uses of this and so on. So I expect that five years from now, we really will think of Austin as one of the leading AI cities in the world. And we're seeing that growth in the health tech sector that we have wanted for years and years and years. And we all wanted it to be faster than it, <laughs> than it was, but it looks like it really is picking up steam as we see the health innovation district plans unfold and hear about the new facilities that are going to go in where the Irwin Special Events Center is and things like that. And, and then Jason, you mentioned the and. I think the and between those two, AI and healthcare, is going to be an opportunity for Austin to really establish some technical leadership that benefits not just Austin, it benefits people. Um, this is, to me, the most important and, since we all care about health and wellness and living quality lives, the intersection of the most powerful revolutionary technology of our time, AI, and the most important domain science area and practice that goes along with it of health science and health care. I really look forward to seeing that and, and my hunch is that five years from now, companies, great companies like Closed Loop AI and others won't just be the, you know, a, a small number of companies in Austin, but the beginning of a wave of these AI and healthcare companies. So it's not yet, but I think in five years, that's where either I'm expecting or just strongly hoping, and I'm letting it <laughs> bias my prediction into believing that we'll be an AI and healthcare uh, leader. We're, we're actually already the ninth biggest uh, ecosystem in the, in the country for yeah. healthcare. Ninth biggest in health. Got it. Yeah. And yeah. You, you talk about AI. Somebody pointed this out to me recently is that our roots in AI go back because IBM's Watson project, much of the research on that, which technically is just AI early, mm -hmm. early stage was actually the research. And a lot of it was done here at the IBM campus in Austin. Yeah. So really our roots go back 20 plus years in AI. And that's something we we should jump onto. And then going back to my, my thing about the university, you know, the university's motto is what starts here changes the world. And I don't think that's just UT's motto. I think that's Austin, Texas. I think it, it starts on the 40 acres and goes all the way out to everything we have in town. What starts here changes the world. 
And I, I think a, a champion, an Austin champion that's going to exemplify that is Melly Price, who has now gone back to UT and she's leading that technology commercialization program. I expect to see great things from that program under her leadership. And that that is exactly what's starting here. Let's commercialize it. Let's let it change the world. Let's not let's let it not just be great ideas in the ivory tower, but really pay attention to how to get those ideas out and changing the world. So uh, another plug for UT, in addition to the great computer science program and so much of the great research going on in the engineering school and elsewhere. Um, with that, guys, we got time for one more question. And I wanted to close with a fun question that hopefully our listeners will still learn a lot from, and it may impact their lives as much as anything they've heard so far. I wanted to ask you, what are the technologies as we start 2024? What are the technologies that you're using in your daily lives that are changing your creativity or productivity or enjoyment? What, what do you really want to encourage people to give a try or use in a different way or something? What, what are you getting great value out of as, as you lean into 2024? It's kind of cliche to say chat GPT, but the fact that, I mean, it's in the 13 or 14 months, I mean, it's still evolving so quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the GPT store only just opened up, right. um, you know, two weeks ago, and I'm still starting to play with some of those and finding new, you know, apps and, uh, I don't know if that's the word GPTs, I think is the right word we're supposed to be using for that. And, <laughs> you know, finding out, uh, you know, just how that is kind of built out my productivity. And then also just as a, as an educational tool, I mean, I've been, you know, using it with, with my kids and, and teaching them different things. I mean, like, just as an example, I know it's not my own thing, but just for my, my 10 year old, uh, we were, you know, we were having a discussion at a coffee shop, uh, about where would you put a, a new coffee shop? And then he's like, dad, build me a coffee shop game. And so we built a whole coffee shop simulator. And like, remember when I was a kid, we had this like lemonade stand game and you were confined to obviously whatever they had programmed. And this was, it's completely open-ended, right? And I had, you know, everything would come up with an image for what he had done the week before and everything from creating, you know, a, a, a drinks of the, of, for a specific hour to every staffing to, he got really mad of, about the staffing. So we replaced half the staff with robots and everything was open and learning business lessons and all of that. And all of that was open. And we're still in the very early stages of this. Jason, kind I, of I can't help but laugh at the idea that when we were kids, we actually built lemonade stands and now kids build AI-powered simulators of lemonade stands. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I actually have to agree. I think that ChatGPT has been great. I, As a writer, and I, I'm a prolific writer, I try very hard not to use it to write for me. Um, I've also learned not to have it rewrite for me because it doesn't sound like my voice. Mm -hmm. But boy, oh boy, I used to get writer's block. And I now say I want to write about XYZ topic for either my, my blog, my TomSinger.com blog, or for something for the Austin Technology Council. And I, I will literally know that know where I want to go, but I'll, I don't really know where to start. So I'll, go, I'll say, give me 10 topics under this main topic. And like three of them will be stupid. Three of them I know nothing about, but three of them it's like, oh. And then one of them, now my writer's block is over and I can sit down and write what, what I'm writing. So I find ChatGPT to be very interesting. I will ask it questions about things like, you know, in our life, you know, what should we do with this? Uh, you know, how do, how do we do things around the house? More than I use, not more, but almost as much as I use Google now. But I will say the technology that, you know, and this is not sexy, my iPhone, because I will tell you that 
I work remotely a lot because I travel to give a speech uh, or I work from home because I'm the only current employee for ATC. So there's no reason to go into the office every day, or I'm going to go to Chicago for a week because my daughter's going to be in Antarctica and uh, her cat feeder only goes seven days and she and her husband are going to be gone longer. So I'm going to go up to refill the cat feeder, but also to just have like a, a retreat to get shit done for ATC. And I'm going to take like five days and I don't even, I, I will, but I don't even have to bring a computer because I can run everything off of my iPhone. And I just don't know how we would exist today if we didn't have the power in the palm of our hands. I'm a, I was hoping I would have a different answer from you, but I guess it's not surprising that both your answers included chat GPT. And I, I have to say for me, that's also the case. And for a lot of the same reasons that Tom gave, I don't want to say just chat GPT, but I will say LLMs in general, I use BARD sometimes as well. Um, but, and, and in fact, sometimes I use both because as Tom said, if you ask for 10 things, three may be terrible, th three may be okay, three very good and one great. And if you ask the other one, you may get a similar ratio, but you may, the great one might, a different great one might bubble to the top. So uh, I, I do like to use these as starting points for more and more things now. I also heard at our last Austin Forum live event, Brian Jacob of data.world, talk about how he converses with ChatGPT using its voice <laughs> interface and really uses it as a, an assistant when he takes a walk and talks on it that way. So that is my goal is to be as good as Brian is at using it that way. And I, I can't help but think of the movie Her. Uh, it's now an 11 year old movie, but Spike Jones hit a home run on that movie. And if you go back and watch it, you see that the AI or the OS, as it was called in the movie, as, as voiced by Scarlett Johansson, starts as kind of a a Siri, uh, maybe a, a little better than Siri, but a, a voice co-pilot, if you will. And then it becomes a full-blown LLM, all in voice interface. And of course, by the end, it becomes sentient. And I, spoiler alert, the movie's 11 years old. So if you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, I'm not going to feel too bad about that. But it's interesting over the course of this to see that interaction and that natural interplay between human and machine enabled by conversational interfaces. And that's my goal for 2024 is to really be able to dictate everything and use conversational interfaces to reduce the friction and increase the productivity. Let me let me tell you a real quick and, and insightful story on that. One of my friends had to give a speech and he's not a professional speaker. He doesn't speak a lot. He's a consultant, but he was speaking at the National Speakers Association in front of 500 professional speakers. And he almost crapped his pants because he thought, I can't speak to this audience. Who am I to do that? And he woke up in the morning and he was nervous. He rewrote his speech again. He was freaking out. He tried to call me, but my phone was on silent because I was sleeping and he needed advice. So he asked ChatGPT, his favorite speaker, the person who admires him the most is watching speeches from Martin Luther King. And so he literally told ChatGPT, could you talk to me as if you're Martin Luther King as a speaker? Because I admire, and he was very clear about the whole thing, what he admired about him, you know, his diction, the message, et cetera. And he said, I, and then he said, it said, yes, I can do that. And he said, I need to give a speech to these professional speakers. What should I do to be as good as I can? And I don't remember everything, but one of the things was before, and this was ChatGPT speaking as Martin Luther King, before I give a speech, I meditate and I pray to make sure that I touch at least one person in the audience. And I know that I won't please everybody, but if I can touch one person, et cetera, et cetera, something along those lines. And he said, it gave him an amazing amount of peace before he walked out on that stage. And he, there were other questions and other things that came out of it, but I thought, wow, that's fascinating that you can go have your favorite person in history 
give you advice through that venue. I thought that was, that was a unique use. That is a great story. And that is a great closing to our episode for today. Jason, Tom, thank you for joining me. I hope to see you again real soon in person. It's great talking with you here on Zoom. Thank you for being part of the Austin Forum Upload podcast today. And again, look forward to seeing you real soon. Thank you for everything you do for tech and for Austin and keep up the great work. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.